Hello, folks, and welcome to the Sense and Theory podcast, where we cut through the bias and extremism in order to find common ground that brings us together. I'm Sense. And I'm Theory. And today we're going to be talking about the topic of forgiveness. The recent trial of Amber Geiger for the murder of Botham Jean has put our attitudes towards forgiveness squarely at the forefront of the national discourse. So today we're going to talk about that concept of forgiveness, its origins, and its relevance in America circa 2019. Uh, Before we get started, though, I would like to ask you guys, uh, if you enjoy the show and you like what we're doing here, take a minute to, uh, you know, tell your friends about us, tell your parents about us, send us out to your email list, um, like the show on Facebook, share it around. Absolutely. Um, we really need your help to to get the word out and, you know, yeah, get, word of mouth more is listeners. vital for podcasts and we sincerely appreciate it. It's right up there with iTunes reviews, those two things. Uh, you know, if you can't support us on our Patreon, you know, it's cool. Just, just go tell your friends and leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. That's right. So, uh, First, I think, you know, to talk about, we're going to talk about forgiveness, but I think we have to use the murder of Botham John and the Amber Geiger trial as kind of the the The, the launch the pad. The launch I, yeah, pad. I, yeah, I think it's really kind of thrust forgiveness into the forefront of the national conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So on September 6, 2018, Dallas police officer Amber Geiger entered the apartment home of a black man, 26-year-old Botham John, and shot and killed him while he sat eating ice cream on his couch. That's right. And and Geiger said that she she mistakenly entered the apartment, uh, thinking that it was hers. And I gotta say, her unit was located one floor below Jean's, and the floors are pretty indistinguishable from each other. I mean, right. I don't know if you've ever been in an apartment building, all the hallways look the same, all the doorways look the same, right? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and the, well, there was a question about how did you know? So how did she get in? Well. Geiger said that as she walked up, she found the door to the apartment slightly ajar. Uh, She entered, and she says she saw a large figure coming at her in the darkened apartment. She said she ordered the figure to show their hands, and when they didn't comply, she drew her gun and fired twice. And and that all came into doubt during the investigation, uh, because Geiger's version of the events didn't quite match what the witnesses were saying there. Witnesses heard two people confront each other, but no one heard any loud commands about showing hands. Um, And the trajectory of the gunshots into John were at a downward angle, indicating he was seated or in some other position than up and walking towards her. Yeah. So the case of a white police officer shooting and killing an innocent, unarmed black man in his own home obviously aggravated racial tensions in Dallas and across the country, especially, you know, in today's climate. Um, But to further exacerbate the problem, Geiger was initially charged with manslaughter instead of murder. And over the course of her trial, in addition to the discrepancies in her story, racially charged texts were uncovered from Geiger. And, you know, in one of them, uh, she kind of made a crass joke about Martin Luther King being dead. Yep. Uh, in another one, she she was making this weird point about black police officers. Like, I think she was being critical of the job they had done, and she kept saying, like, this isn't racism, but, man, yeah. black Any, officers. Anytime you start yeah. it with this isn't racism, but, <laughs> yeah. buddy, you're going down the wrong road. Um, so Geiger was, in a rare case of, of justice, uh, convicted of, 
of murder on October 1st, 2019. Um, and she was sentenced to 10 years in jail and probably going to be eligible for parole in five. Yeah. Um, and many members of Jean's family, activists and folks across the country were kind of upset about what they felt was a light sentence. And yeah. I, I got to agree. I think 10 years uh, in exchange for a, a innocent man sitting on his couch eating ice cream is a little bit ludicrous. Mm. Um, but at least we got some form of culpability for, for a police officer, which I think in America is very rare. Yeah. Well, that story, if it didn't have all the makings of a story that was going to dominate, you know, national media coverage before it certainly got it at the sentencing hearing. Um, because what happened was Botham John's brother, Brant, I think it's Brant, Brant John, yeah. uh, made a remarkable gesture of forgiveness towards his brother's killer. This is from ABC news. Uh, Brant John took the witness stand and spoke to Geiger saying, I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to hope you rot and die. Brant John told Geiger, I personally want the best for you. I wasn't going to say this in front of my family. I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's exactly what Botham would want for you. Give your life to Christ. I think giving your life to Christ is the best thing Botham would want for you. Brant John then asked the judge, Tammy Kemp, if he could give Geiger a hug, a request that the judge granted. He stepped off the witness stand and met Geiger in front of the judge's bench and embraced as Geiger broke into tears. Yeah, and of course, this video was was shared around the world, um, you know, posted to Facebook, showed up in people's Twitter feeds the next day, and yeah. everyone had a good hearty, you know, oh, look at that feel-good yeah. moment well, I think, of reconciliation and... It was remarkable. And I say that, you know, whether we'll get into different people's different takes on the hug itself and, and everything, but regardless, someone killed this man's brother and he gave him a hug. That is remarkable in the definition of the word. Remarkable. It, it is absolutely <laughs> remarkable. Know? The other thing that was kind of remarkable was that the judge then like stepped off the stand and handed Amber Geiger a Bible, which gives me the heebie-jeebies and makes me feel really uncomfortable in a country where we claim to value the separation of church and state. Yes. Uh, where we instead we use jails as like the biggest uh, uh, breeding ground for, for you know, pulling people into Christianity. Anyway, yeah. that's not what this episode's about. <laughs> yeah. I just want to throw that out there. Well, this, this whole thing at the sentencing hearing kind of immediately thrust, uh, like we said, forgiveness right into the forefront of our conversation. And I think what we want to do today is we want to talk about the topic of forgiveness and, and what it meant here and what it can mean to us. But to do that properly, as is the sense and theory style, we got to go back to the origin. Yeah. We got to go, we got to go way, way we back dig for deep. this. And maybe I spoke too soon in saying that talking about religion uh, wasn't what this episode is about. Cause it turns out eh, you kind of can't separate <laughs> the concept of forgiveness from religion. So if we go way, way, way back, uh, we kind of operated on this, this, this uh, code yeah. that was completely devoid of forgiveness, right? Hammurabi's code. Yeah. Uh, eye for an eye. If, if you steal, we're going to steal from you. Um, right. you know, if, if, if you take your, your brother's eye, I'm going to take the eye from you. And, and that's how, humans operated for millennia yeah, um, for I, I think as far as as far as we can go back in in recorded history um, and it's funny because if if we're talking about the modern origins of forgiveness lots of people like to lay claim to that Christianity right. obviously at the forefront 
um, and and Judaism both kind of have this uh, spoken claim to the origins of forgiveness. Well, but what's interesting, especially if you're if you're talking about you know the Old Testament uh, in particular, and, and even to an extent the New Testament, though. The, the forgiveness is really about man asking for forgiveness from God. Right, from it's a higher still power. Because trust me, if you if you want to go through Judges or you want to go through some of those books in the Old Testament, there is still a lot of eye for eye going on, man. That's absolutely true. A lot of terrible vengeance. Right. So, so there's still kind of this lack of interpersonal forgiveness, you know, forgiveness from, from your brother. And uh, the first... The first recorded instance I could find, of course, um, Christianity has laid waste to much of the history of the written history of the world, so it's hard to say if that's accurate. But, uh, you know, the Torah has a story about Joseph, who was the favorite son of Jacob, uh, who, you know, caused his brothers to be jealous, so they threw him in a pit and then uh, sold him to Egyptian slavers. And uh, later on, Joseph rises to the ranks of viceroy in Egypt through a, a, you know, complicated series of events. And became the subject of just a fabulous musical, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dream. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, after, after advising the king to store some grain for an upcoming famine, uh, uh, his brothers came to Egypt to, to buy that grain after the famine actually came. Uh, and Joseph then reveals his identity. His brothers, of course, didn't know what a that this kid he threw into a they threw into a pit and sold off to slavers was yeah. now the second in command in the realm. Right. Um, so so Joseph reveals himself in this great moment and says, "I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was actually to save lives that God sent me ahead of you." For two years now, there's been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you, a remnant on earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. (laughs) And according to Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, this is the first recorded moment in history in which one human being forgives another. Um, and Which actually is, you know, I could have swore that Abel... Maybe he didn't. I, I, you know, I, now that I think about it, but I could have swore that like Abel forgave Cain or something or said. Something I think right there's some loophole. That, or wouldn't you think? Wait a minute. Wouldn't you think that Isaac had to forgive Abraham for almost killing him on a on an altar to God? You, know? you, you would know, think so. You would have to imagine. You, you would know? think so. Not according to to Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, but right. this 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 idea just bugs me to the core that that we can write off the horrors of human behavior as you know part of some grandiose plan mm. uh to do good things later it's like yeah. the whole idea of of you know wasn't there a priest who saved hitler from a river or something and mm. and, and we can make the priest out to be the bad guy for for saving well, him but he's actually a hero for self-fulfilling you know, prophecy pulling and, a little boy out of a river and like, how how awesome god is in hindsight right because in hindsight god did all the good stuff he didn't do any of the bad stuff that's that was, right that's right that was and one of the main lessons i learned in church all things according to god's great plan right uh hitler nazis kkk members included we can just accept all these things as as part of god's yeah. great plan and and I don't think we can talk about forgiveness without talking about the message that Christianity brought to the world 
you know, as it raped and pillaged entire swaths of the planet, burning books, melting statues, uh, forbidding the spread of oral history, uh, and generally being just about the biggest dicks the earth has ever known. <laughs> and that's the concept of turning the other cheek, you know, from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this is a few good centuries from the start of before the start of the Crusades. Uh, we have you have it heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And man, I understand when people, the outcries against this, this forgiveness from, from Gene's brother and the mm -hmm. hug and in the context of Christianity and the Bible being handed over and, and him saying, you know, go with Christ and, and Christ will, will <coughs> forgive you. I forgive you as Christ would smacks of, of just of, What's what's the term when you when you love when you fall in love with the with the person who's imprisoned you? Oh, uh, Stockholm syndrome. Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, it smacks yeah. of Stockholm syndrome to me. Like there, well, we we must hold people accountable. Yeah, for their evils. Well, I think I think when you've got an organization like Christianity, like the Vatican, you know, however, however we want to define it, when you have them simultaneously going around and and you know wiping out whole people like the Cathars or whatever. Sure. And then, and then telling them on Sunday in mass, you need to turn the other cheek. Uh, yeah. It smacks of hypocrisy, but I would also say though, that we have to bear in mind how large Christianity is and it's multifaceted. So for instance, uh, you said that, you know, Christianity was running around and burning and raping and pillaging, you know, largely the biggest dicks on earth. Right. No, I'd say they 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 happened to be the biggest dicks on earth, but they were completely in line and consistent with what every single other group of people were doing, right? So it it, it is remarkable that there is this teaching that we find in Christianity that says turn the other cheek, and I think if you put it in context, you might be able to kind of see why um that particular teaching was pushed by some of the people who were involved with Christianity. Enlighten me, baby, because okay. right now I'm I'm flabbergasted no, here's, and floored. Here's I mean, the deal. We are going to take a little journey, right? We're going to get in our cars, and we're going to drive down to Theory's Historical Context Corner, okay? <laughs> Today, uh, it ah, is... Ah, it's a nice day. Let me roll down the window. St. Olga of Kiev edition. Are you excited? Okay. All right. Um, so there's this lady. Uh, her name is Olga. She's born in Kievan Rus, okay, which basically just it's Ukraine, you know. Uh, at the time, that's it was called Rus, and you know she was in and around the city of Kiev. Uh, she gets married to Igor of Kiev, and he this is, is not Hunchback. Igor. He is this is not okay. Hunchback Igor. Different this is more story. like uh, think more like Vlad the Impaler Igor. Oh, okay, you know what I mean like uh, he is uh, he's a he's a tough dude, but anyway, he is the ruler of Kievan Rus. And he, uh, when he takes over, some of his people that are in his domain ain't been paying their tributes, mm. right? And particularly the Drevlians, a group of people, have not been paying their tributes. So Igor rolls down to the Drevlians' house and he's like, hey guys, where's your tribute? They pay him. He starts going back home. And like halfway through, he's like, no, they should pay me more. So he goes back, right? 
And when he comes back, the Drevlians are like, no, nah, man, we're not having it. And they kill Igor. Now, they don't just kill Igor. What they do is they take two trees, they tie them down so they're under a lot of tension, and they tie one half of his body to one tree and one half of his body to the other tree, and then they release the trees, <laughs> ripping him in half, right? <laughs> All right. So the guy who did this was a Drevlian named Prince Mal, right? And so they send a letter to Olga, who is now regent of the kingdom of Kievan Rus. Sure, she's inherited this. She's, they, they have a son, but the son's an infant, so she is now the ruler. And they're like, hey, you're a woman. Uh, we all know that women aren't fit to do anything. So perhaps you should marry this guy that killed your husband. And she's like, you know what? I think you're right. What? So they send they send their emissaries, right? Where, where are you going with this? Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> so so their emissaries show up to Kiev, right, in a boat. And she sends them a message and she says, Oh, your proposal is pleasing to me indeed. My husband cannot rise again from the dead. But I desire to honor you tomorrow in the presence of my people. Return now to your boat and remain there with an aspect of arrogance. I shall send for you on the morrow, and you shall say, we will not ride on horses nor go on foot. Carry us in our boat, and you shall be carried in your boat. And so sure enough, the Drevlians get back on their boat. She sends people down there the next day, right? And they're like, you must carry us on our boat. You know, your, your woman has commanded it and everything. And the people pick up the boat and carry these people into her, you know, inside these the walls of the people that have ripped her husband to... Right. Pieces. And they dumped them straight into the massive ditch that she had dug the night before <laughs> in their boat. And the boat splinters and they can't get out. And she sits there and watches as they are buried alive. That sounds like how it's done to me. Yeah, it does sound how it's done. But, but this is what Olga does. Olga realizes that word's not going to get back to the Drevlians for a little bit. So she sends another message to the Drevlians. And she says, um, you know, you should send your most distinguished men to me here in Kiev. Yeah. Because I want, when I show up to marry your prince, I want to do so with honor. So they do. They send another contingent of the best Drevlians. And they get there, and, and Olga says, you know what? Before you meet with me, I think that you should have a shower. So they all go to a bathhouse. And Olga has her men set fire to the doorways of the bathhouse so that none of them can get out. And none <laughs> of them can get out. They're trapped. They all burn alive. So she then goes to the Drevlians. And she says, hey, prepare a great feast because I've decided that I'm going to marry Prince Mao. It's going to be great. She's like, get mead and everything. We're going to have this big feast. You know, we'll kind of do it in honor for my husband because, you know, he died and everything. But once that's done, I'm ready to marry. Cool. Uh, have you seen the Red Wedding? Oh, yeah. In Game of Thrones? Yes. Yeah. Olga did it. Everybody <laughs> got drunk. And they, you know, reports are, you never know with like ancient world Sure. Stuff. Reports are 5,000 Drevlians died. Wow. Right? Now, this time, the Drevlians realized that Olga meant business. So they decided to have a war with Olga for Kiev and Rus. And they did. And she basically started, you know, just dropping cities one after another. She gets down to the last city, which is called uh, Iska Rotsen, and lays siege to it for a year. And after a year, she sends a letter to these people who are trapped in this city. And she says, why do you persist in holding out? All your cities have surrendered to me and submitted to tribute so that the inhabitants now cultivate their fields and their lands in peace. But you had rather tied of hunger without submitting to tribute. Mm. And the Drevlians are like, have you seen the shit that you've been doing to us? Right. Like, yeah, no, we don't, we don't, no, we're scared to death of you. And she's like, no, 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 no. 
She's like, all that's in the past. I've had satisfaction for my husband. She's like, here's what I want. She says, five, six thousand Drevlians later. <laughs> exactly. That's eye for an eye. She says, give me three pigeons and three sparrows from each house and we'll call it a deal. Right. And they did. The Drevlians in the city went and they got three sparrows, three pigeons from each house, as many as they could. And they gave them to her. And then she instructed her men to tie a piece of sulfur to each of the birds light them on fire and release the birds so they would fly back to the city and roost in the houses and burn the city to the ground. All right. Now, again, you know, ancient sources sometimes, you know, who know if that really turns out the U S government did a very similar thing with bats during world war II. They were going to tie sulfur or something like that to bats and release them in Japan, burn down an army base. So it's wow. completely conceivable that app. Why did I tell you this whole story? I think I see where this is going. Revenge was a lot different back then. <laughs> and to have anybody saying, hey, turn the other cheek, be kind, don't in this endless cycle of revenge and tit for tat, mm. it's it's going to run us. So like, I, I I get your critique and I get how hypocritical it was to, to lay waste to the Holy Land or lay waste to these people and then say, turn the other cheek. But at the same time, I'm glad somebody at some point was saying turn the other cheek because times then and the revenge that was sought and the, the boiling pitch, you know, and all this stuff, awful things that people used to do to each other. We've got away from that because we've embraced forgiveness. Right. But but have we really gotten away with it when you have an organization and, and granted, I guess Christianity is not violently, uh, you know, overthrowing countries right now. Yeah. Um, We're not tying anybody to trees right yeah, now either. Although uh, the Russian church, you know, if you look at the church in Russia as a, as a political entity, entity, they're coming back and, uh, and getting Olga's homeland here. You, you <laughs> know what I'm saying? They are, I mean, but, but... Under the guise of, of Christianity and would still have their members say, turn the other cheek and... And how many Christians are there in the Ukraine that are being asked to to turn the cheek mm -hmm. uh, while their country's being taken, mm -hmm. and and believing that if they don't, they're violating the will of God? It's 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 well, Stockholm syndrome. I I don't think that that you know forgiving and forgetting and letting go is necessarily the answer in the face of oppression. I, I got a quote here from Ellie Weasel who survived the Holocaust. Uh, he says, God of mercy, have no mercy on these souls, these murderers of children. Some persons do not deserve forgiveness. Those that have gone beyond the human capacity for evil. And like, I, I completely agree. This is not yeah. a natural response to someone slapping you in the face. So why, you know, why do we value forgiveness? It's well, actually, interestingly, there's been quite a bit of research about it. And I think that it's, it's, one of the things that's that's great about forgiveness is that even though it isn't our natural inclination, we at times feel, you know, a pressure to do that. And that may be a natural response. So, like, what do I mean? They, they've done studies and research into the act of forgiving. And anytime we start talking about, like, psycho psychological tests and stuff like that, Hey man, you're as good as the test that you've designed. You know what I mean? So, so take how take many of any these, results? How many of these researchers were Christians with and, a greener, and biased yeah. by their Christianity? Yeah, that, that definitely come results. Uh, what people's definitions of forgiveness is come up. You know, when we talk about these tests and stuff. But here's what the data shows so far: 
Uh, research has shown that forgiveness is linked to mental health outcomes such as reduced anxiety, depression, and major psychiatric disorders, as well as with fewer physical health symptoms and lower mortality rates. Uh. There, there seems to be a huge, uh, you know, physical benefit to letting go of these burdens. You right. Know? Um, there was a, a researcher, Loren Toussaint, and Toussaint and colleagues found in a study exploring the relationship among stress, psychological well-being, and forgiveness, uh, they found, as expected, that people who had greater levels of accumulated lifetime stress exhibited worse mental health outcomes. But among the subset of volunteers who scored high on measures of forgiveness, high lifetime stress didn't predict poor mental health. And and that and this this is where it kind of it kind of starts to make sense to me, but I think I think I separate this idea of of forgiveness as a psychological uh tool mm-hmm. to get past your own internal suffering is very different from maybe the idea of forgiveness that that John is presenting us with, you know, with yeah. handing the Bible over and saying, give your life to Christ. Uh, because you're right. The science overwhelmingly says um, that we are able to uh, to almost treat many mental health disorders uh, with, with the concept of forgiveness. For example, we've got Bob Enright, Ph.D. from the University of Wisconsin. Uh, he has a forgiveness therapy process model that uses a 20-step system to move people through four phases— Uh, uncovering one's negative feelings about the offense, deciding to forgive, working toward understanding the offending person, and discovering empathy and compassion for him. Uh, Enright has shown this model is is effective in various one-on-one interventions, including a study that showed that it alleviated depression, anxiety, and PTSD in women who've experienced spousal and emotional abuse. And uh, interestingly, people with a higher capacity for forgiveness also have lower standing blood pressure. But yeah. I, I think we would be remiss if we didn't if we didn't understand that this is a very different concept from from turn the other cheek. This isn't this isn't forget um that that this person is dangerous. Mm-hmm. This is after the fact, right? Like right. this thing has happened to you and you're still holding on to the anger um and it's still damaging you. Well it's it's so as a way of releasing yourself from that damage, um, you know, we let go. Um, it, to me, it's like, it's the only way, the only power that you have to, to stop the suffering within yourself continuing. It's like putting out the fire. Well, I think it's something that, that humans have a hard time untangling and and there's reasons for that. Right. So, so for instance, yes, if we take literally, if we take the passage in the Bible from Jesus, turn the other cheek, give your wealth and all that stuff, you know, if you have to then literally go, you know, give this guy the wealth and all that stuff. Let him slap you again. Then, yeah, let him slap you again. Then you're talking about, you know, not seeking vengeance. Then you're talking about not seeking justice. Then you're talking about uh, not, you know, trying to make things right, which isn't necessarily what's involved in the process of forgiving someone and what forgiveness even means. But there's a reason that we conflate the two, and there's a reason why it's so hard to forgive. For instance, a 2004 study from Switzerland showed that pleasure centers in the brain light up at the prospect of revenge. Uh, The activity was located in the dorsal striatum uh, region of the brain that's tied to motor function, uh, impulsivity control, and pleasure rewards. So so quite literally, when you're confronted with the prospect of, you know, being wrong, the first thing that happens 
is you get a shot of pleasure thinking about getting revenge. Right, getting them back. So yes. that's the first layer in your uh, eventual confrontation with the concept of forgiveness and why I think we intertwine them so hard in our heads. You know, and, and truth be told, like, I'm not sitting here saying, uh, you know, you should you should only take the Bible literal in some respects and you shouldn't take it literal over here. And and those just conveniently align with everything that I'm saying. No, I completely get what you're saying about turn the other cheek. But I think the concept, the concept is asking people to consider a world in which you you forgive and you let go and you don't seek that vengeance. Mm. You don't seek that pleasure reward. Um how much, how well the Christianity is done in making that very clear, you know, you're probably going to win that argument nine times out of 10. Yeah. Let's just go ahead and forgive the Catholic church, you know, but in modernity here. I think what was really interesting, one of the things that I found while we were putting this episode together was how we actually choose between seeking vengeance or seeking, you know, or going the route of forgiveness, you know, uh, research from Sweden in 2018 showed that when a person experiences injustice, areas of the brain associated with anger lit, uh, lit up. Notably, the, uh, what is it? A- amygdala. Amygdala, thank you. Uh, the primary region of the brain associated with fear and flight or flight. Uh, the research, which puts subjects through a game in which someone would cheat them before they were ultimately given the opportunity to seek revenge, identified the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex as the region that seemed to govern whether the person sought revenge or not. If there was increased activity in that region of the brain, then the person was less apt to seek revenge. Right. And I, and I got to say that the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, uh, it's a pretty interesting part of the brain uh, that we're only now coming to understand. Uh, and, and I definitely encourage further reading on that. We will have links in the sources. For yes. Sure. Uh, it is. It, it seems to be tied to working memory, motor function, and maybe most pointedly, moral decision-making. So the region is linked to decisions on how to distribute limited resources, and it evokes a preference for more equitable outcomes versus maximizing personal gain. So yep. if, you're, if you're making a decision about the group versus the individual, um, this section of the brain is the one that lights up when you're making decisions that favor the group right. over your so, individual. And that's not to say that this section of the brain lights up when you make the right decision. Like that's, that's not what we're saying. It's just that that's the section of the brain that's involved. And then come to find out that section lights up when people don't seek revenge. So mm. it very much is like, you know, it becomes a moral question and perhaps, you know, that is why we have tied in this concept of forgiveness and God and all that stuff, because we have a tendency to see it uh, in terms of morality and, and benefiting the group. When I think um, you may very well be right at, at the end, at the end of the day, it may be something that's mostly centered on the self. You know what I mean? Um, now we would be remiss if we went through, you know, all this data and stuff and didn't mention that there are research studies that show that there can be a dark side to forgiveness. That's right. Um, there was a study that is aptly called the dark side of forgiveness uh, that was done in 2011 by James McNulty. And it found that in particular, the tendency to express forgiveness may lead offenders to feel free to offend again by removing unwanted consequences for their behavior, mm, church, anger, criticism, rejection, loneliness that would otherwise discourage reoffending. Consistent with this possibility, the current longitudinal study of newlywed couples revealed a positive association between spouses' reports of their tendencies to express forgiveness to their partners and those partners' reports of psychological and physical aggression. 
Specifically, although spouses who reported being relatively more forgiving experienced psychological and physical aggression that remained stable over the first four years of marriage, spouses who reported being relatively less forgiving experienced declines in both forms of aggression over time. Uh. So having consequences for that sort of behavior led to a decline, it would seem. Right. And and I think this this is where the criticisms from from woke culture, if you will, from from the woke side of things uh, is is spot on the nose, man. I Mm -hmm. think a lot of people who are going, how can you ask black America to forgive Amber Geiger for gunning down a black man in his home when we're in danger of being shot in the streets and in our homes every day? Um, I, I think that's a valid criticism, man. I think if we if we take Amber Geiger as a racist who who shot John and I'm I'm not making that assumption. I don't think anyone in the world except maybe her mother and her closest friends mm-hmm. um, could make that assumption. But if if we are to make that leap, then then yes, man, forgiving her is is giving a pass. If there are social consequences to your behavior and those are ostracization um, and and shame and disgust and loathing like we would be remiss to remove those from the equation because those are very real pressures that that may very well prevent people from acting in those same ways in the future. I think I think there's some validity to it. Well, and what you've touched on is just one of the many reactions uh, that we saw, you know, after Brant John, you know, hugged her in the courtroom because you know uh, the video instantly went viral. You know, went absolutely places running stories on it and everything. Uh, you had Chris Evans, Ted Cruz, Nikki Haley, uh, you know, among others who were tweeting out that it was beautiful. I think Chris Evans said it was one of the most beautiful things he'd ever seen. Um, and then you had largely Christians and conservative outlets, uh, you know, celebrating John's act. Uh, you know, National Review ran a piece. The headline was, Brant John shows us how to live. Uh, Fox said, uh, families in pain deliver powerful courtroom lessons in forgiveness. Of course, Fox ran um, that headline. But, yeah. But there was immediate pushback, uh, you know, kind of taking the same attack that you were. Now, there were some people who were going a little harder. For instance, you know, there's a popular figure on Twitter, uh, Bishop Talbert Swan. Uh, he said that Brant John's actions were a symptom of post-traumatic slavery syndrome. Uh, he also posted a meme depicting a quote by Dr. Francis Cress Welsing uh, that said, forgiving whites for acts of racism is a mental illness on the part of black people. Uh, you also had places like Jezebel running, you know, an article, the perverse spectacle of black forgiveness. And I got to say here, man, I think I, I think where these missed the mark, you know, I've talked about Stockholm syndrome and, and I believe that wholeheartedly. But when I look at, at Brant John specifically, I don't see this as forgiving whites for acts of racism. I mm-hmm. see this as a personal forgiveness from Brant John to Amber Geiger. There's no there's no larger context that we get to attribute to this. And sure, the, plenty plenty of guilty whites may have felt, you know, like like they were being somehow forgiven for for slavery or something, maybe. Yeah. Um but I think when it comes down to it, um this is Brant releasing his own pain uh and his own anger in in a way that that serves himself. Well, I th- you know, I, I tend to agree with you, but I will say that, you know, a lot of people who, who take the, you know, the tack that you were taking there, 
see it differently that you can't separate the context, mm. right? So we saw also a slew of takes that weren't directed at Jean per se, but were kind of directed at how his actions were received. And they're kind of saying that the two are are forever linked, right? So you had CNN said, uh, a hug of forgiveness for Amber Geiger is not absolution for America's racism. Uh, USA Today said, for black shooting victims, sometimes anger, not forgiveness, Ooh. is the best response. And I think uh, there's a, a gentleman, Teo Barrow, at The Guardian, who, who kind of maybe sums it up best. Uh, he wrote, what cannot be ignored is the way whiteness often operates in a moment like this, effectively dismissing the victim and centering the white person's experience of the incident. These moments are continually, uh, continually usurped as avenues for white redemption, with black victims being asked to make nice with the perpetrators of their trauma. It's like the boy on the playground who you had to apologize to because all of a sudden he's upset that he got in trouble for hitting you. He goes on in the piece to, to tie in another piece by Jamel Hill that criticized Michelle Obama's when they go low, we go high slogan. Uh, Bayo wrote, sadly, the low high binary almost always ends up in service to whiteness. Not only does it absolve the guilt and responsibility of the offending party, it also works to make black people complicit in the accountability process. Why do I have to continually stifle my outrage, anger, pain, or trauma just to make you feel okay about getting your just reward? And and I think I think he's kind of missing the mark. I didn't feel like Geiger was centered in that exchange. I felt like Jean was centered in that exchange. Um, you know, again, I I don't feel like anyone is asking black people as a whole to forgive when we're pointing out this moment of forgiveness, like. Right. I, I and maybe that's just because I'm not black that I don't see it that way. Well, see, to me, that that was kind of the deal with, you know, a lot of people got upset about the National Review article and, the you know, the Fox articles and stuff and, you know, how they were centered on the forgiveness. And I, I think that's just what they're saying, like as if, uh, you know, white people were attempting to take that moment and say, see, this is how things should be and, and, and everything is forgiven. And hey, man, some people will. Some people are. I'm, I'm not making the argument that some people aren't. But we got to be careful, right? All Chris Evans said was, this is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my mm. life. And, and he's, he's getting and he caught hammered. hell for it. Yeah, yeah, he's getting hammered for it. So I think there is a line between lauding something as beautiful as forgiveness, because I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I understand your critiques and I understand their critiques about turning the other cheek and stuff like that. And I understand that I'm biased because I kind of skew towards pacifism. But at the same time, like the act of forgiveness, like, you know, seeing someone else's humanity and realizing that though you may have wronged me, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I still acknowledge that you're human and things happen. And this is something that I'm going to have to let go and that it's probably going to be the best thing for me. And you'll sort things out. However you sort things out. It's a beautiful thing to me, mm. you know, but I think it also touches on that I obviously have a different definition of forgiveness from you who have a different definition of forgiveness from the people who wrote these articles who have a different definition of forgiveness from psychologists. Sure. You know, and that's kind of one of the main thrusts. I think that if anything, our episode today here accomplishes, I hope that we, we help people see that there is a distinction that their forgiveness and, and justice are not intertwined like that. Sure. I think the key point with Geiger, in fact, is that at the point where where Brandt forgave her, 
justice was already meted out with the prison sentence. Now, whether you agree that that was actually justice, I happen right. to think 10 years was a super light sentence yeah. for the exchange of this man's life while he was, while he was well, eating I would ice say, cream. And, but, and I don't want to hash this out right here, but I, I, I want to lodge one point about the 10-year sentence. I, I said this with Brock Turner. If we want people to get lighter sentences, then we have to support lighter sentences. Now, if you don't personally think that anybody, anybody, should get a 10-year sentence for taking an innocent person's life under those circumstances, that's fine. I, I don't. Not, no, not but anyone. I've seen under people, those circumstances. I've seen, I've seen people make the argument, like, for instance, Shannon Sharp, who you know was a former NFL wide receiver. Uh, now he's like a sports commentator and everything. But uh, he came out and he said, what are the chances Botham John would have received 10 years for murdering Amber Geiger after entering her apartment illegally? Uh, he went on to say, what are the chances some of her family would hug him as his family hugged her? Black people are always expected to be compassionate, but rarely receive compassion. Well, if you think that 10 years is, you know, a, a fair sentence, then I want Botham John to get the same 10 years. And that's the approach that we should be taking. Right. So let me answer his questions real quick. Uh, what are the chances that uh, John would have received 10 years for murdering Amber Geiger after entering her apartment illegally? Now, I haven't looked at the at the records, but I would say in Texas, probably chances are nil. Yeah. He probably would have gotten a life sentence if this was a black man uh, entering a white woman's apartment. Perhaps even the death penalty and, in yeah, Texas. Absolutely, even the death penalty. So, so uh, that's why when <laughs> when I see that, and like, and, and ten years is is ridiculous. She's going to get out in five. There's there's right. no question. She's going to get out in six years. Um, so, ten years for his life, not a fair exchange. You know, are we are we fair still enough. in the era of eye for an eye? I don't know. Well, what I, I guess what I'm saying is, but you know, like set a number, and and say like you know say you know I don't think I don't think ten years is right for that crime. Not I don't think other people would have gotten this amount of time for that crime. Well, yeah, no, that's wrong. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like we don't, we don't. You're right. You know, if Botham John would have got 35 years for something, she would have got 10 years for it. Well, then absolutely, we need to fix that inequality. But at the same time, I don't want her to get 35 years, bro. You like, don't. She, you don't I, think she deserves a life sentence for no, this? No, I don't think she gets 35 years for this. Wow, man. There's no premeditation. You know what I mean? It's, then what was it? I mean, the only thing I can think of is that she was just drunk. I or think it stoned was out of her gourd. Well, I don't know. I, I, I think it was definitely driven by her racial biases, and I think it was driven by the militarization of the police. But I think it was also it was a terrible accident, a mm. terrible. It was gross negligence mm. on her part. But I don't think like she intended to kill him. Do you think I don't ten think, years was a fair sentence? Uh, do I think? I you know I don't. I, I would have to look at what the lowest form of murder, like what it is. I mean, to uh, me, guidelines, I, sentencing guidelines in Texas, I believe were one to 99 years. Yeah. Yeah. Which so, to me is like this weird loophole. Like if you're white and you kill a black guy, we give you one. If you're black me, and you kill a white guy, we me, give you 99. Let me put one it to you to like 99 this. is a huge range. For off murder. my gut, which I don't, I don't like to operate off my gut, but off my gut, eh, like 15 seems right. 15, 20, you know, Tw 20, I, I could have 20. You know what? If it was 20, I would have felt like, there was some justice served. Yeah. 10, right. 10 with parole on the yeah. table, man. But in a sense, it, you're, for, we're setting, what we're doing is we're setting the price of a, of a life, right? If we're looking, we are setting the price of a human life with this sentence. But you're looking we're, at it, but you're looking at it solely in the context of this. And what I'm saying is, do I want people who in a sense, okay, I understand there are other factors, right? I'm not trying to get, 
but in a sense, accidentally kill someone? Do I want them to lose 10 years of their life? If it was an accident, if she had, uh, if, if she it, had it hit is, someone in, in the sense. car, I mean, I, I don't see it as an accident. I, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't see how you could accidentally. Do you think she walked into his apartment knowing that it wasn't hers? <sighs> then hard, what, hard what to comes say, after man. that is an accident. Hard me. to say. I don't think it's hard to say. I mean, I, we don't have any reason to think that she looked at Botham John and was like, he's got to go. You I'm going to go get him th- tonight. See, that's the thing is there's this whole like mystery around it. Like, I can't understand the way even the trial came and presented the quote unquote facts. I'm still left in complete disbelief that this could have happened. So like I I I I feel like there's there's circumstances know, that didn't come out in the trial. Well, let me put it to you like this: in my life, I've had on multiple like two or three occasions. I've lived in apartments most of my life. I've had people walk into my house. Okay, yeah, it, it's a, maybe maybe that's something that's coloring my perception. But I can remember very clearly one and time when I was people, a kid, and there were just people in those in. complexes who had said that that's happened to them in that complex. So, right, right. So it, I, I don't know, and I get it. I know that you know there's other factors because at some point her police training should have took over. You can make the argument that it did. Uh, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and so I get that that complicates things. But what I'm saying is I don't want her to catch 35 years because we're really mad about this because she was white and and he was black. And then some kid accidentally shoots somebody and we're like, well, we got to do 35 years. We got to give them 35 years. You know what I mean? That's the way I look at the situation. I I understand that. I I also want to address, though, uh, Shannon Sharp's second question, which was, what are the chances some of her family would hug him uh, as his family hugged her? Black people are always expected to be compassionate, but rarely receive compassion. And, And to him, I would say, man, go Google search for Family Forgives Killer. Search YouTube for Forgives Murderer in Court. And you're going to see countless examples of all races forgiving the murder of, uh, you know, of their family members, yeah. uh, white people, uh, Asian people, black people all across the board. And, and those videos all have thousands and thousands of views because I think that forgiveness is valued as a beautiful thing in society. So I think I well, think you brought that, up an interesting point, even if it is just people. Uh, you know, paying tribute to their their Christianity, even if, even if it is the way you we were joking about it kind of earlier, and even if it is like backslid Christians doing what they think is the Christian thing, even though they're not really like you know, but it happens. It absolutely happens. It's just not on the news. It does. Day. It's not on the news. And the reason that this one was thrust in our face was because Amber Geiger was a huge uh, national debate. It was a mm-hmm. conversation for a year, you know, a year of our lives or more. Right. Um. So I, I think I think that it is very easy to overlook all of the, you know, what is it's confirmation bias in, right. a, in a lot of ways. No, I, I think, I think white people forgive black people for murder. And I think they give hugs and they shed tears and they release the pain um, in order to reduce human suffering. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it's quite fair to say that, that that never happens. And I think, I think it, at the heart, and it's something that we've touched on over and over again today, um, the, the, the thing that's happening here is, is the difference in definitions. And, and I think that people would do well to get a firm grasp on forgiveness, to, to meditate on forgiveness, to think about it. Um, for instance, in a piece for psychology today, uh, PhD Ruben Kadam wrote, let's start with what forgiveness is not. Much of the self-help world has suggested that forgiveness does not mean you become best friends with the person who wronged you. Forgiveness is not saying what happened was okay. 
Forgiveness is not saying you accept the person who wronged you. Instead, forgiveness is choosing to accept what happened as it happened rather than what could or should have happened. Forgiveness can mean that you let go. Forgiveness can mean you love from a distance. Forgiveness can mean you step into your present rather than anchoring in the past. And it reminds me of a thing that happened when I was in like 10th grade, right? I got into a fight with this kid. And what happened was the the girl that I was dating at the time, you know, we were standing out back at the school smoking cigarettes, being all cool. And uh, the kid goes up to her and he says, hey, can I get a cigarette? And she says, no, just kind of playing with him. But she was reaching for her cigarettes. And she got him out. She was going to give him one, but he thought she was serious. So he tried to snatch him and she pulled him back. Well, he started choking her. And so I ran over and like, you know, ripped him off of her and like me and him got into a fight and I got my ass whipped, man. I did. <laughs> this little dude, it was crazy because I was so much bigger than him, but he had this like weird tactic. He grabbed my waist and then he'd pop up and punch me and then he grabbed my waist and all I could do was hit him in the back. You know, I couldn't. But anyway, long story short. <laughs> little dude smoked you. <laughs> he did, man. He whipped my big ass. Um. So So when I came back from school, or I'm sorry, when I came back, I had to go to the hospital and stuff. But anyway, when I came back to school, the damn, next day, he really took it. To no, me. he did. He got me like 12 shots in the face, Oof. broke up. But, you know, I still took like 12 shots to the face. Um, but when I got back to school, I had to make a decision, right? Because here he is at lunch and here he is in my classes and stuff. So what am I going to do now? This dude put hands on a woman and tried to choke her. Like for me, that's that's real bad, right? That enrages me. And I felt like. You know, a sense of justice in that world, I would have whipped his ass or somebody would have whipped his ass or any of the kids that were standing around watching us fight would have, oh, well, he whipped his ass. Well, I'm still going to get him because the dude needed an ass whipping. But my choice was, am I going to do that every day? Am I going to go seek him out and try to fight him every day until I get that justice? Or am I going to let it go? Right. Yeah. Just accept the fact that Mm. that's the way this one broke and we'll see what happens next time. Now, I didn't forgive him for the act. I didn't hang out. Right, with it's him. not like you went and sat down with him. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, we didn't become best friends. And if you see someone else choking a woman, you're going to do your best to stop and maybe take the ass whooping again. Yeah, yeah, but I just I forgave the fact that that you know he did what he did, and I did what I did, and I came up short, and and I just kind of I, I forgave all of that. I said, mm. you know, it sucks, and I don't like it, but I can't hold on to it. I've got to let it go. Right, and and and, I, and I, so I think there's a measure of practicality that that we ask that we are asking for right so they say why are only black people being asked to forgive and it's like you're not being able you're not being asked to let go of the injustice like get out there uh protest uh raise the issue let's talk about it all day nobody is saying let's drop the conversation about cop shooting black people what we are saying is practically tomorrow we got to wake up and we got to go do this thing you know, yeah. so like, so, so what are you going to do? I mean, are you ready to grab guns and run into the street? Well, I, I it, feel like that's where, that's where the national conversation is headed, right? Like if, if we continue, um, shitting then, on forgiveness, shitting on, exactly, exactly. <laughs> if we continue, then it's like, I go back to, to, to Brant forgiving her and, and in the absence of him meeting out, being willing to meet out his own justice, mm-hmm. um, what's left to do? Right. Like he's not going to go pick up a gun and and murder her back. He's not going to imprison her for 30 years. Um, So so talk about it, like you said. But but in the absence, there's there's only there's only self-care. That's what I love about about forgiveness. As much as I've railed against the the Christian concept 
to me, there is a balance um, in forgiveness because it's not, you know, I think people look at it and they like to say, well, it's an act of, of absolution for the person, for the oppressor. Yeah. And it's not. It's, it's not. It's a selfish act. It is yeah. as as much as it looks from the outside like a selfless act. It is about self care. It's about being able to live uh, with less suffering. And when you're in a position to make a decision to reduce suffering or increase suffering, um, most of the time, I think the best course of action is to reduce human suffering. Mm-hmm. And in the case of forgiveness, you're actually reducing your own suffering. And and yes. Amber Geiger may feel better about herself after being forgiven, but to me, that's just an after effect. That's right. not that's not the reason. Right. Um, to me, it is it is it's about the psychological self healing behind the act. Yeah, uh, actually, Doctor Everett Worthington completely backs you up. He said one common but mistaken belief is that forgiveness means letting the person who hurt you off the hook. Yet forgiveness is not the same as justice, nor does it require reconciliation. Worthington explains, a former victim of abuse shouldn't reconcile with an abuser who remains potentially dangerous, for example, Mm. but the victim can still come to a place of empathy and understanding. Whether I forgive or don't forgive isn't going to affect whether justice is done. Forgiveness happens inside my skin. Right. And I, you know, and I think that that kind of just hits the nail on the head. I think the the reason that I was excited to do this episode um, this week is because I think in a sense, this is a part of a trend that I've noticed in culture. And I'm not even going to say that it's a part of like the woke left or, you know, I see it over here on the right. I just see it in a lot of different places where people are saying, um, don't judge me, don't criticize me. And they're hypersensitive to the idea that they're being judged or criticized. And I think to an extent, that's what we have here. I think in some people holding up the beauty of forgiveness some people feel like they're being attacked because they're not forgiving because they're not forgiving. And so in a sense, yes, the people who are holding up the the forgiveness, we need to make sure that we pause for a second and, and say, it's okay if you don't forgive. Right. But I just want, I'm just telling you, look at the beautiful benefits of forgiving. I'm advocating for it, but if you don't, that's your choice. Yeah, perfectly fine. And I think the people who... And in fact, your anger is righteous in a, yeah. in a lot of cases. And I think the people the people who do, or I'm sorry, who don't forgive, I would hope that they could look at the moment between Brant John and Amber Geiger and say, wow, that, that young man is extraordinary. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, and, and, and a lot of them did. A lot of them, you know, a lot of people, their takes were, I couldn't have done that. Right. And, and, you know, and it's just kind of appreciate for a moment the capacity uh, of, of humanity to be beautiful to one another, mm. you know, and, and but but it doesn't mean that you have to do it yourself. Right. You know? So in that spirit of, of forgiveness and, and, and beauty and humanity, I see where this is going and I don't like it. Yeah, I I am going. I'm going to say something about Beanzo, who will be back uh today on the show Beanzo, i forgive you for all your treacherous scummy deplorable just all the awful villainy that you've perpetrated on this show i have found it in the bottom of my heart even though you left us and then tried to break in on our signal with some pirate i i am able to forgive you probably because i'm the better man but definitely i i forgive you Beans. Do I get a turn? Yeah. 
God of mercy, have no mercy on these souls, these murderers of children. Some persons do not deserve forgiveness. Those that have gone beyond the human capacity for evil. That's a fair take. Beanzo, what you got? Forgive me. Well, it's nice to know not much has changed around here. Let's see. Uh, complex racial issues dissected by two white guys? Check. Theories white apologism hiding behind the veneer of census liberal conscience? Check. And the pompous ass meter? All the way to 11. Ha. <laughs> home sweet home. If I were you boys, I'd ask the Jean family to forgive you for all those gene pronunciations. Or maybe... Ask all the buddies out there who trust you as a source for news to forgive you for saying that Amber Geiger went to jail. It was prison. Or saying the Christian Church of Russia. It's the Russian Orthodox Church. Or not mentioning that Amber Geiger asked the judge for the Bible to begin with. <laughs> Y'all know how this goes. These boys treat the truth with the same respect and veneration Trump has for phone calls with foreign leaders. Oh, we can't talk about that on this show, huh? What you really need forgiveness for is somehow taking this case and flat out ignoring the corrupt role the Dallas Police Department played in it from start to finish. We aren't going to mention the chief witness, Joshua Brown, being murdered under suspicious circumstances less than a week after the trial. We aren't going to compare why the Brant Jean hug went viral instead of the mother's statement after the verdict. You think it's because Allison John said there is much more to be done by the city of Dallas. The corruption that we saw during this process must stop and it must stop for you because after now I leave Dallas, but you live in Dallas. It must stop for everyone. If Amber Geiger was trained not to shoot in the heart, my son would be standing here today. Now just why in the wide world of muddled narratives did y'all leave that out? If y'all want to forgive me, do it for biting you in this segment. Fellas, back to you. Man, it, it, today was supposed to be an exploration of a beautiful concept of like forgiveness, and you had to tear it down, you dastardly piece of shit. There's that righteous Man, anger. Here, let's, let's, let's go outside. Come on. Well, folks, yeah, so the, the beauty of kindness and forgiveness uh, is important for self-healing. Uh, anyway, you guys check out that uh, Taylor Swift Tiny Desk concert. Oh, Jesus Christ. Hello, folks, this is Theory, one-third of the Sense and Theory podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as we did making it, but I want to take a moment to remind you that the discussion doesn't end here. Pop on over to senseandtheorypodcast.com where you'll find all the necessary links to tell us how brilliant and or stupid we are on social media. If you like what we're doing here and want to help us with the crippling cost of all the writers in Beanzo's contract, check out our page at patreon.com slash senseandtheory. If you can't chip in financially but still want to show your support, you can always rate and review us on iTunes or just tell your friends and family about us. Either way, thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.